1: Hey out there rock and rollers, welcome to the 58th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in Central London, just off historic Abbey Road, and I want to thank everyone who tuned into our year in review 2021. We had a lot of fun going over all of our favorite albums and concerts and releases and moments of the year, not to mention the top shows that we made together last year. Obviously it was a great year for the podcast, really going from novices who had only made a few shows, didn't really know quite what they were doing, to doing an entire year of weekly shows and building a fun community online full of fellow rock fans who want to carry the flag forward on the stuff we love, including classic rock, hard rock, prog rock, heavy metal, early MTV, everything that we loved as kids and still love to this day. And so we thank you for your support and for tuning in to that show. And to kick off 2022 with a bang, we figured we'd go back to our roots Figure what's what's an album that was just essential to us, that changed their lives, that was muy importante in the education of The Wolf and Action Jackson as young rockers? And we decided, well, the first episode we ever did was on Eddie Van Halen, not too long after his passing. And the first Van Halen album was like a thunderbolt, like a shock of lightning as soon as I heard that. My Life Was Different. And we're both going to talk about how we first came to it. We didn't hear it in 1978 when it first came out. We were like five years old. But we found it later. We found it in high school when our minds were starting to open up to all things rock and roll. And we are starting to pursue our own interests and find out which genres of rock were really for us. Of course, at that time, Van Halen was big. They were on their second lead singer, but they were all over the charts. They were all over the radio. They were all over MTV. And to be able to go back and discover this incredible, searing guitar of Eddie Van Halen that really changed the world of rock and roll. Go-to rock and roll from the 80s, especially Southern California, LA, glam, metal, rock. All of it came from Eddie Van Halen's guitar. He was someone who literally changed the world. And people like Richie Blackmore had to stop what they were doing to come see what all the hullabaloo was about with this young kid from Pasadena. Of course, they really hit it big with MTV and the record 1984 with Jump and Panama and Hot For Teacher, but this album shows them raw, just breaking out and showing off this incredible musicianship of Eddie Van Halen, the finger tapping which no one had ever really seen, certainly not at that speed, and the sound that he created was new. It was unique to him. Now it's not as unique because everybody can do it, but they were groundbreakers. And you've got this super sexy front man, David Lee Roth, with the long blonde mane and the hairy chest you got this incredible rhythm section of Michael Anthony and Alex Van Halen cranking along. The first Van Halen album is a classic. Sold over 10 million copies in the U.S., a diamond seller. Now in the U.K., they weren't as popular. And I'm not really sure why. Maybe an exposure thing. Maybe it's a taste thing. I don't know. But they didn't quite find the success on the other side of the pond that they found back home. Because in America, Van Halen was, it is, huge. And we're going to talk about the first one here on the show today. Really quickly, as usual, we want you to be able to tweet us at Ugly underscore werewolf and at Action jack 72 Make sure you download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and you can get all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. So with that, let's buckle up, folks, because this was an important one to me and Jackson, all sorts of hard rockers all over America. It's Van Halen's first album here on the Wolf. <laughs>
2: I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon.
1: So as we enter the new year here, Jackson, 2022, is imminently upon us. We're looking back to a record released in 1978 that really changed the world. I mean, it changed the world of hard rock and heavy metal and guitar playing, certainly, in in rock and roll forever. And the original Van Halen album is huge in the landscape as far as hard rock albums, heavy metal albums, debut albums. I was trying to think, Who had a better, more impactful debut album than Van Halen? And I was thinking maybe Led Zeppelin, the first one. Maybe Appetite for Destruction. But other than that, in the hard rock, heavy metal arena, it usually takes you a little while to build into something, even if you've got some great songs. Kiss's first record is close, but obviously didn't sell. And some of the, the songs are great, and they've been doing them for almost 50 years now. The the recording is a little muddled in some spots. There's some things they probably could have done better, either with a better producer or better whatever. But, I mean, what do you think about that, and how did you come to find the first Van Halen album?
3: Well, to your point, the first point, I would say you're right. The the big three debut records are Led Zeppelin 1, Van Halen 1, and Appetite for Destruction as far as just coming out of the gate hot, I don't think there's a bad track on this record. But to the other point about how did I get here? Mm -hmm. Well, we started off with 1984. Right. Right. MTV, got into them. And then it was like somebody knew something about something and said, oh, yeah, they've got other records. Right. What do you mean they have other records? This was the first one. No, dude, keep going. So I found this one probably in high school. Yeah. And, yeah, just would never look back. I mean, it's one you just put in the tape deck. And let it fly because there's, it's just from start to finish, it's fantastic. And part of it, actually, a lot of it probably has to do with Ted Mm -hmm. Templeman. Cannot discount it kind of lightning striking the band being in the right place at the right time finding the people who could make their sound, like that party live sound, come through on the record. It was almost like being there at a live show.
1: Yeah, Van Halen really built their reputation as an L.A. party band, right? And they they played the Starwood, they played the Whiskey. I think the Whiskey's where they took pictures that ended up on the cover of this album, the, the four of them playing their instruments, or Dave looking mm-hmm. like the rock god. They were taking at the whiskey there, and, and they developed quite a reputation. They would, get, they would get opportunities to play backyards, you know, and you can imagine, you know, people uh, taking out the water out of the swimming pool and putting the band back there, letting people get in there and dance around. That was kind of a common scene around there in the mid-'70s to the late-'70s before they got signed, but it was... Eddie's virtuosity as a guitar player that was really turning people's heads. Now, that said, Dave, David Lee Roth, Diamond Dave, (laughs) is an extraordinary frontman as far as being an entertainer, as far as having the moves, having the looks, uh, and being able to get the crowd into the show. He's not an extraordinary singer, but... His vocal style serves the music very, very well. And it's a great meld of the two, of this incredible entertainer with something to show you, something to say, and this virtuoso musician who changes the game and knocks people's socks off, really changes the world of rock and roll forever.
3: Yeah, you really needed the two of them. The hard rock landscape is is pay, littered with um, you know your one-two combinations, your Steven Tyler and Joe Perry, your, you know, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant—you have to have that one-two punch. And you're right; they really don't go together mm-hmm. when you think about it. I mean, Van Halen is this virtuoso who can play the guitar like no one had ever heard before, and Roth would be pretty comfortable being on a vaudeville stage, right? <laughs> just, just really an entertainer. He had, there was a great video of him on Jimmy Kimmel when they got back together with Wolfgang and did that tour. And he, they were going to do Panama, and he cut himself up.
1: Right, hit himself something. like right in the nose.
3: <laughs> yeah, and like he walked off stage, and it was kind of a weird deal. But he came back, and then he showed you who he really was. He said, "All right, we're stopping. I apologize. I cut myself. All good now. Really appreciate you being here. We're going to start all over again." We're going to give you the show that you came for. Don't worry about it. We've got this. Instead of just saying, forget this. I'm not playing. This Mm -hmm. is a piece of crap and walking off. He knows he's there for the crowd. And yeah, you're right. The greatest voice in rock and roll? No. The greatest voice for Van Halen, even though I love Sammy Hagar. and We can talk about that on a different show. Right. This was... He was the one that that brought this over the top and brought it to everybody in a package that they could play on FM radio.
1: That's right. And apparently, so this comes out in 78, the first Van Halen record, but it was in 1976 that one Gene Simmons from Kiss kind of quote unquote, he'll say he discovered them. Of course, he Gene thinks he has the patent on everything and he's discovered or invented everything in rock and roll, but he did go to Van Halen and say wow you're really amazing do you have a record contract do you have a manager they're like huh what no uh-uh so he i think financed them to do a demo with a few songs and right. the- but
3: apparently i yeah apparently that didn't go well i i have not heard it but i mean the stuff that i read was like i think they described it as abysmal so i don't know what was going on on that and again maybe that goes back to Ted Templeman of whoever was producing it Mm -hmm. didn't really know what to do with it didn't know how to capture what they were all about
1: well also the band kiss really didn't want gene off managing people at this point this is 76 and that's when they do alive and destroyer and they're about to do rock and roll over and love gun and they're getting huge and like we can't have gene distracted like managing this little band out of california to hell with that so they're like no gene you don't want to do that and they kind of Said, no, look, it sucks. You don't want to listen to them, whatever. But eventually, they started to get some gigs and they play the Starwood and they play some spots. And Ted Templeman and Mo Austin here, they're like, okay, we we can do something with this, right? And so they get them into the studio and they, they put together this extraordinary debut album. Again, there might be bands like, I mean, Boston's debut is heralded as a big thing. They're not really a heavy, they're certainly not heavy metal. They're not even necessarily hard rock. Of course, our favorite, you know, we're going to work them in Asia. They had a pretty good debut album, but A, they're not hard rock, and B, it wasn't their first album, right? I mean, it was their first album together, but Steve Howe had already made ten records with Yes, and you know, John Wetton had made a bunch of records with King Crimson and Uriah Heep in UK and Carl the ELP. So I mean you could say Crosby Stills and Nash debut was fantastic, right? But they were already doing things before that. So as far as coming together and changing the sound with that finger tapping that he does. And yes, he said he saw Steve Hackett do it in the early seventies. Steve Hackett who We've done several shows on for his greatness as a guitar player. Eddie took it to the next level. He 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 changed it, and so that before there was before Eddie Van Halen, and there was after Eddie Van Halen. Kind of like there was before television and there was after television. The the way the world worked, and through all these songs on this record, he's making some kind of a mark. We're like, wow! Listen to that lick, or listen to the way he did that. I'd never heard anything like it before
3: so if you want to talk about you you had mentioned boston quick mm-hmm. the, in the debut records that's a great it's a very pop friendly fm right deal but it's all, it kind of all sounds the same i mean it was it was famously done by tom schultz right pretty much by himself he, he did everything but a lot of the tracks sound the same the, the same effects the same none of this sounds the same on this record it all fits together mm-hmm. but it's all very different And you get, okay, we talked about David Lee Roth and we talked about Eddie Van Halen. Okay, boom, one, two, punch. But you cannot discount Mikey, Anthony on the bass, and brother Alex sitting on the drums. They're laying down a fat groove for him to basically
1: just... Do whatever he wants, I mean.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Dude, he had a little bit of the riff, and then he would go into it. But yeah, those two definitely helped out. I know once they got into the like the keyboard stuff in 1984, mm-hmm. that kind of got pushed back. Maybe not so much the drums, but the bass. But on this record, Michael Anthony is just killing it on the bottom end.
1: And his voice is, is fantastic. And, of course, Eddie kind of denigrates Michael. He denigrated denigrated. Eddie's not with us anymore. But towards the end of his life, he kind of denigrated Michael Anthony. singing like, yeah, he's singing high, but we're singing backup together, which is true. They, they're both singing backup. And Eddie had a nice voice for backup, but I don't know. It's just part of the whole... He was down on Michael Anthony, especially after he brought Wolfie into the band. He's like, nah, Michael, he couldn't really play. I had to show him how to play everything. And Sammy's like... No, that's not true. I never saw that happen once. I was in the band for 11 years. It never happened once. Sam and Dave don't get along at all. They can't stand each other. But the one thing they always agree on is like, no. Uh, Dave's like, no. Michael had a beautiful high tenor voice. It was fantastic. He was just blessed with it, man. It, It was a big part of the backup sound of Van Halen. Of course, you can hear it throughout all the records, but certainly on this one for sure.
3: And if you listen to the new stuff that he does with Sammy Hagar, I think it's The Circle, Sammy Hagar and The mm-hmm. Circle and Chickenfoot. he can still sing like that. He yeah. still has that high voice and he was asked one time like, well, why didn't you, why weren't you the lead singer? He's like, nah, nah, nah I'm not trying to crawl that. He, he's good, just He's laying down the foundation. He does the the harmonies. Just a real nice, humble dude. And, it, yeah, I, I I was really disappointed to hear Van Halen say that about him, a guy who had, he'd worked with for so many years. I don't understand why you can't just say, listen, I, I love my son. I want to spend time with him. Mm-hmm. That's why this is happening. But, yeah, Mike, he's the greatest. You don't have to – don't do that.
1: Yeah, and Mike – it's not like Michael ever came out and said a bunch of nasty stuff about – Eddie. Sammy might have at some point, but but Michael never did, you know. (laughs) And he's got that killer Jack Daniels bass. Of course, Jack Daniels is a big part of my family. So yeah, I mean, great guy. But I mean, even if you can sing fantastic, he's not a front man. And David Lee Roth is. He may be the epitome of a front man. Up there with Jagger, not, not you know, certainly not from a longevity standpoint, not from a songwriting standpoint, not even from a vocal ability standpoint. Sammy can outsing Dave any day of the week. That's not the issue. I'm talking about someone who gets up there and does the show. That's Dave. So
3: Steve Vai was asked one time, because he 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 performed with David Lee Roth on his solo records and then with David Coverdale and Whitesnake and mm-hmm. they said well what's the difference between those two guys Vi said well you're never going to see Roth hit a high C right. on mm-hmm. stage but you're never going to see Coverdale do a split off the top of the uh, the Risers or the Sword show or the, anything else like that so to your point yeah Roth is not a vocalist but he is a performer exactly. you're going to get a show when you see him
1: and he but he it's not like he can't sing at all and the way he uses his voice with the screams the yelps But then even to get down and dirty sometimes on, say, Ice Cream Man or the middle bit in Ain't Talking About Love, Ain't Talking About Love, you know, he, he uses it well to express what's going on to carry the meaning of the song to the listener. And let's face it, the vocalist, especially in America, is the way that people understand the meaning of the song.
3: Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't think, I don't think this would have gone as well without him. It, it just couldn't have. I mean, Eddie, Eddie, can play, but you need that, you need that kind of polish at the end to sell it, and especially. they were talking about in 1978 this kind of music was not really super it was starting to fall off you know like deep purple and led zeppelin were getting to the end of their run right and so it was starting to be more electronic music the skinny ties were coming out you know the the ramones were just beating it up with three chords and loudness and just yelling and so ooh kind of falling kind of becoming a dinosaur nope this was something new something yeah. sounded familiar but it was new at the same time
1: you know you're you're absolutely right you know I mean uh, deep purple had basically disbanded and fallen apart Black Sabbath were on their last legs with Ozzy. you know they're they're going away Aerosmith's starting to have some major major problems with drugs and alcohol and business and everything else Quiet riot the original version with Randy Rhodes in it they couldn't even get a, a U.S. record contract. They had to go to Japan to get a record deal and go tour over there. It's like no, we nobody plays this hard rock heavy metal stuff. This is all going away. Punk is washing a lot of it out, the same way that Nirvana and uh, grunge washed a lot of the the bit players away in the early nineties. Like that's going on. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Atlantic, you do have some Iron Maiden stuff going on. Nobody knows about it quite yet over here because. The first record didn't come out until 1980, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, the Saxons and the the, the Iron Maidens, Judas Priest hadn't turned their sound around quite like they would at the beginning of the 80s with British Steel and all that. So, yeah, everyone's like, this music's all going away, but you've got this shiny blonde frontman. With David Lee Roth, and like, oh, okay, we can market that, and then you put this extraordinary guitar fret work on here, it's like, wow, we've really got something. And they weren't trying to be like the old school heavy metal and the prog people who were like, we're going to stretch these out to six, seven, eight, ten minutes. It's like three and a half minutes, you're out. Three minutes and twenty seconds, you're out. You know, just get in, kick their ass, go to the next one.
3: And the other, the other cool thing too is that we're talking about, yeah, I mean, I think the whole record is only thirty-five minutes long, right? Which is cool because you can, if you're kind of running around someplace, you can actually listen to the whole thing pretty quickly. Like this isn't two and a half hour odyssey here. Yeah, like you said, you're in, you're out. Uh, they give you just enough, and then they move on to the next track.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And which makes it good for the radio. So mm-hmm. it, it worked out. Yeah. So if you want to get into it here, you know, we start off with running with the devil. Great opener to the record. And you don't hear the first thing you hear isn't Eddie Van Halen. It's not Diamond Dave. It's boom, 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 boom. Mike on the bass. And then you hear the power chords. Like, yeah, we're into something now. You get a little taste of Dave and first taste of Eddie, and it's it's cool. It's not mind-blowing what he does on Running with the Devil. It's, it's good, good power chords. It's kind of a heavy metal blues kind of song. You know, throw the devil in there to give it a little something. But great way to start it off, but it's not like—and you've got some good Eddie stuff on there— but it's not blowing your mind yet. It's just kind of setting the table.
3: I was going to say, for what's coming, well, especially next, mm-hmm. you just got to ease. And, you can't throw me onto a moving train. You got to ease me into it. The cool thing about this is that I think that's even an open note that he's playing. Anybody can play that. If you anybody, if you pick up the bass, you take two seconds. Oh, That's the beginning of, of Running with the Devil. Uh, 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 and then that riff is not super hard either. It's, it's heavy and it's cool, but it's not super difficult so this is one you could actually kind of mess around with and play right what what was it acura i think a year or two years ago they had that uh nsx commercial with just the david lee ross vocals and to hear that to just him screeching through this thing it's it's i think he's kind of discounted on this thing but it's it's a the vocals are awesome the harmonies this is the first time you get to hear that yes and it's powerful i I think mike's great on (laughs) that It is, but we're just kind of a cold start here. Here we go. We're rolling into this. And then I guess they were kind of just tired of everything and said, okay, fine. We're going to put the cards on the table right now. If you didn't know what you were getting yourself into, here we go. So the way that I look at this, you were talking about, you know, there was pre-Eddie Van Halen and post-Eddie Van Halen. right? So Les Paul invented the electric guitar, Correct. Correct. That gets people going. Okay. Oh, I got this new thing I can play with it. Kind of sounds all the same. Then you get Jimi Hendrix. He taught you how to fly. Right. Wow. We're doing it wrong. Now we have eruption. Now Eddie Van Allen is going to teach you how to go to outer space with this. Starts off. To me, it's like the rocket. You know, the original like Saturn or Apollo, or whatever rockets are. The beginning part is the drums.
1: Boom. Boom. Boom.
3: Boom that's the rocket firing up and then you know he's doing the thing where he kind of flicks it with his wrist right so that's taken off boom 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 and we're getting like wow that's really great this is cool and then he gets into the tapping part and then you're in the you're you're, now you're in outer space and people like i listened to this for this episode yeah it still sounds phenomenal it still sounds like I can imagine if you didn't know anything and it was 1978, and you picked this thing up, your head was just exploding. First of all, you're saying, okay, stop, this isn't a guitar. This is a trick. This is something else. Right. Nobody can make it sound like this. Exactly. No dude. And nobody can play this fast. No, I don't know what this is. How how is this happening? And he used to, didn't he used to turn around on stage because he didn't want people to see what he was doing? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I think that was part of the thing. Like he had this new technique mm-hmm. and so yeah, this was the first time that you heard him really okay. Here here's here's what you're getting into. And it it still sounds it's only a minute and 42 seconds, so it's a perfect length. I mean it could it could, it could have been 5 minutes minutes long, and you would be like, okay, I can't take this anymore. It's just enough, and then they pull it back again.
1: This, this is a life-changing event for me, <laughs> as far as hearing eruption goes. It's yeah. a, it's I guess some people would call it, there's no vocals, right? It's an instrumental. But I think I heard it in high school. You know, a, obviously we got into Van Halen in 1984. We were kids, 11, 10, 11, 12 years old. Panama's huge. Jump is big. You know, Hot for Teacher, those videos were all over MTV. Uh, and kind of, and Dave's concocting and starring in those videos kind of gave him the idea, like, hey, I'll go off and do a solo record, which allowed them to kind of kick him out of the band. And then we got into the Hagar years. And I remember just being in high school, not just wanting to do pop stuff, but wanting to be more into rock and roll. And here comes Van Halen back right it it, i was a freshman in 87 88 i believe ou812 came out in 1988 Mm -hmm. and and so we're like yeah okay there's some great van halen songs on there but it was around that time that i discovered this album and then i discovered eruption i'm thinking oh man you know because i was into guitars i was into hard rock guitars and i'm like all right well let's let's hear what van halen's first album was because i had never heard it before and someone played it for me and i hear eruption maybe i heard it on the radio but i think someone played it for me and i was like Oh my god, what is that? That is unbelievable. That's the most incredible sound I've ever heard in my whole life. I can't believe I missed out on this till now. Not that I should have been listening to it when I was five when it came out or whatever. But still, I was like, God, that's unbelievable. The first 20 seconds, you're right, it's kind of a warm up and he's doing some cool stuff in there. But he's got Mike and Alex kind of helping him out. Then they go away and it's just him doing his, his tapping and, and things like that. And it just, it blows your mind. And it's still, I mean, that tapping, especially at the end, it's, it's, it's still one of the most amazing things in the world to me to this day. It's, it, and obviously every rock guitarist that came after him in any kind of hard rock band, they all had to be able to do that somehow. And, and, and most and, of them but, couldn't.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is like now you can I mean especially if you go on YouTube, you can, there's a hundred thousand people that can play this note for note. And so it, it's, it's attainable that you can do it, but, he was the one that thought of it. He right. was the one that put it together. And it, like I said, in 1978, people just said, "Must have just said this has got to be a trick. This can't be real. No one can play like this. You cannot make a guitar sound. It, it's a, it's a, it's a loop or something. You know, you're only playing two notes. But then to watch him do it live, which we've done before. That's right. It's still it's phenomenal. And he's really not playing all that fast, right? Because because you the two hands are working together. It's not just your the the fret hand, but yeah, just to watch him do that and i can imagine that it would just be cool to to see him back then in his garage or whatever just noodling around with it and coming up with a thousand other things
1: Un- unbelievable and interestingly enough it almost didn't go on the album it, it's but not like course. it was a song uh right it didn't have vocals not like it's a song and it's short it's you know it's not even two minutes long so they weren't even thinking about it. But apparently he was in the studio while they are recording the record and they had a gig either that night or the next day or whatever. So he wanted to warm up and that was part of his solo. He would do that. And it was Templeman, I think, who was like, whoa, what's that? Let's lay that down and put that on the record. And I'm really, really glad that he did. And if that is the case, because there's also, I mean, it just seems like everything with Van Halen, there's two sides of the story. Every single thing. There's two sides to the story. And even Eddie's like, oh, no, the the engineer was recording and he wasn't supposed to. uh, And then Ted heard it and said, let's keep it or whatever. So who knows what the real story is? Who cares? It's on there and it's changed lives all over the world. And it still will. If you haven't heard it and you come to it and you love rock guitar, you're like, wow, that's unbelievable.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And then it goes into I kind of feel bad for You Really Got Me because it's almost like you were just kind of beaten to a pulp. (laughs) after that and then so i mean it's a cool cover uh i don't think the kinks get enough credit as far as being a uh you know one of the british invasion bands it was kind of cool to go back and say you know listening to you really got me on this record saying wait who is this now the kinks okay well you know maybe i'll listen to that too right it kind of it kind of a, a harder rocking version of this song nice solo in this one And it's also kind of cool too, when you hear songs that maybe they played live when they didn't have enough to do a full set back in the day, this was probably one that they pulled out. Hey, everybody knows this one. Let's, let's hit it. So I like that one.
1: Yeah. And in doing some research, I saw that they, they, all bands have to do some covers and they did quite a very different ones. They did a lot of deep purple stuff. Allegedly, they used to do Man on the Silver Mountain back before they got signed, and I would like to hear their version of that. Uh, that would be really cool. But you know, on, on rock radio, those two were, were kind of played together. It's almost like Eruption was the intro to You Really Got Me on American rock radio. You, you rarely just heard Eruption on its own, probably because it's so short. And then DJs would need a little time. Uh, to get something else in there to back it up with. So they would play them both together most of the time, at least in the late eighties and early nineties about it.
2: But yeah,
1: Eddie has some flurries in the middle and the end that are top notch. I think Ray Davies thought it was maybe the best cover of one of their songs. Whereas Dave Davies, I think was less appreciative of it, uh, of it, Maybe because he's getting shown up in a major way.
3: Yeah, and and I think that's probably just the tip of the iceberg with the Ray and Dave Davies mm-hmm. uh, rift. But yeah, yeah, I mean, right. I mean, Dave Davies is cool because he was the one that invented reverb. Right, right. He he took the he took the amp apart and s- I think he sliced up the cone with a razor blade. He sliced the cone. That's around. right. Yeah. And so I think that he does not get enough credit as being a you know one of the the pioneers. But yeah, again, like I said before, we're in a whole different whole different class now. We're just we've we've gone past that now.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's almost like I mean, yes, Bob Dylan wrote All Along the Watchtower, but that's Jimi Hendrix's song. Correct. And, and it's not quite to that level cuz The Kinks you really got me is still a great one, but to me compared to Van Halen's version, it's, you know, That's a Van Halen song now, as far as I'm concerned. It is now, yeah. 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 Um, But then, man, then, then we get into Mm -hmm. the penultimate badass Van Halen song, Ain't Talking About Love. Not, I'm not talking about love. Ain't talking about love. Phenomenal.
3: I think... I think to this day, one of the, probably my favorite riffs, just iconic, it's, it, yeah, it has got that, heavy yeah, riff. And, and what I like too is, uh, Roth was saying, you know, Sammy Hagar, why can't this be love, <laughs> when it's love, Dave ain't talking about love, my love is rotten to the core, right, <laughs> It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just nasty. And it's still, again, it still sounds great today. It still sounds like it's something fresh and new and yeah, it's got that great, it's got a great solo in it. Not super flashy. What I really like about this record is uh, only, I think there's only one or two tracks that have an overdub. Mm -hmm. Most of it is just him playing the lead slash rhythm and then bass and drums and that's it. So you get that nice, you know he does the he does the riff part then he has a little solo but when he does the solo it falls back to just the bass you don't have another backing track in there so he has to he can't just sit there and noodle the whole time because he doesn't have a he doesn't have a, a supporting track so i like the back and forth that he does
1: no doubt apparently they had him put down a little electric sitar or something when okay. he's doing the solo. So when he's noodling and, and killing it, because there's, there's kind of two solos. It, it, it's it's similar. It's the same, basically, but it's in two different places. Once at the beginning and once at the end, right before they go into the, hey, hey, hey. Um, yeah. So this, there's a little bit underneath there, but you're right. And to me, with these cutting lyrics, it shows that they're, they're not just a metal band or a punk band with this Olympian guitar player. B- because when they go to the break in the middle, I've been to the edge. And you... It's a little spare there. And, yeah, he
3: brings it way back.
1: And he's, he's talking about heavy stuff. Like, I've lost a lot of friends there, baby. You know, it's this is serious business, you know. Eddie apparently at first didn't like it because it's really only two chords. And he kind of wanted it to be a punk song or reaction to punk, but it, it really didn't end up that way. But Dave kind of doing that introspection a little bit, and he's not just the rock sex god, you know, he's like, I got some stories I can tell you, too. I just, I just think it's, it's so good. Every time I hear it, the volume automatically goes up. You're not changing the channel. You're rocking out to that. And if you're not screaming along, hey, 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 at the end of it, there's something wrong with you, man. It's so much fun to this day it's one of the best rock and roll songs i've ever heard
3: yeah and and it's it's interesting that it's on this record you know coming out of the box so hot it's not you know it's not three albums later it's not one out of way i mean this is you can go back to this record and say like i said i think that he's had some great riffs this to me this is his signature
1: one i would agree with you there yeah there's nothing wrong with this at all this is fantastic and i i think they did release it as a as a single at some point I, I think you really got me did fine in america as a single i think they had a few others off here that didn't i mean running with the devil i think did well in the netherlands but didn't really do that well in america jamie's crying was released as a single Ain't Talk About Love was the last one released as a single. I don't know if it did any damage, but yeah, it became a huge fan favorite, a staple in their shows, and it's one of the ones they kind of forced Sammy to do. I, I don't think Sammy was totally enamored with doing the old tunes. But you know they—they they were like, "Look, you got to do this one."
3: <laughs> you no, know, yeah, it has to. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have no, choice. No. Yeah, Wait, isn't it on that? What was that? What was the live record they did, like in the early nineties. Well, it was
1: right uh, here, right now, live, right?
3: Yeah, that—that that sounds. He they do ain't talking about love on that. It sounds phenomenal. And if I think I think if I'm right, he starts into it and then Mikey comes in way high in that scream mm-hmm. and then it goes into it. Yeah, it's it it's not one of Sammy's songs, but he does a really great job on this one.
1: He did. He did. Well and, and you better, because the fans expect that one. If yeah. that's one you gotta do, you've gotta do it right. You need to change up, jump. Okay, as long as the music's good, yeah, you can sing it fine. But that one has to be good. Yeah. And then the next one, I'm the One, which I think was originally titled Show Your Love, since that's kind of the chorus in there. But it's got sick guitar at the beginning. And then it's got a boogie beat kind of thing that you can kind of dance to, you know?
3: Yeah. I I don't think I've really ever listened to this one for the lyrics you know, what, what's he talking about? I'm the one, the one you love. It's about being on stage. Come on, baby. You yeah. know, this is it. You know, we, we came here to entertain you. Leaving, what does he say? We came here to entertain, leaving here, we aggravate you. <laughs> just, just be in the front man. And then you're right. That, that deal in the middle. What is that? It works, but it's weird. And the, yeah, it, it's just a real, now we're driving probably a hundred miles an hour now on this one. And yeah. It's got a cool intro. And it's, yeah, it's great. I love this track.
1: Great, great, sick guitar intro at the beginning. It's got Mikey singing high on it, you know, really showing off. And Eddie has another sick run before you get to the shooby-doo-wah bit. But that, to me, is the, the blend of Eddie and Dave, right? Eddie's smoking out on this guitar doing stuff that no one ever thought of. And then we're going to stop and bop-ba-da, shooby-doo-wah, oh, oh, ba Like, that's totally Dave. And the sick but guitar it gives, is Eddie.
3: But it gives you a chance, it just gives you a chance to rest. Just okay, let me catch my breath here. And then we're gonna go back into this again. Because again, if it was just him playing for three minutes and forty seven seconds, you, it would get lost. But the, I like that how they kind of break it down. And they do it in any time About Love too, you know, and then okay, let me rest. Okay, okay, now let's go back into this. Yes, here we here we hit the the end of it that's high amps as well.
1: That's right. That's right, and that wraps up side one. Now, I, I I think I really only ever had this on CD, so there was no side one, side two, really in my enjoyment of it. But I remember getting the CD like this is an investment, like I have to have this in my record collection, because when you when CDs are 15, 16 bucks a piece in the late '80s, which translates into like forty or so dollars a pop now, versus. I can go out and get a CD for like $3, 4 $5, brand new right now, right? So, mm-hmm. and you're a kid, you don't have money, but you need money for like gas and you need money for like eating and like maybe you get a date once in a while, something like that. So when you buy a record, it's got to be something that's going to stay in the test of time, something you're going to want to listen to forever. And, and this one certainly qualified then and qualifies now.
3: Mm, yeah. I, I had this on tape. I got it from somebody. I don't know. I don't remember buying it, but I do remember... Saving up and buying this record, I mean, buying this on CD, thinking the same thing. This is never going out of the rotation. I'll never get sick of this.
1: Yeah, when we got to college, neither of us had a huge CD collection. So there wasn't a whole lot of overlap. But this was one Mm. of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But so, no, you get into then the next song, uh, Jamie's Crying. And look, I mean, there's six songs on the second side. The shortest is three minutes. The longest is 340-something with Feel Your Love Tonight. So they're all kind of in that pocket of what is playable on the radio, what could be a single, you know, that kind of thing. And Jamie's Crying has that classic drum beat at the beginning, which really kind of became more famous as a Tone Loke song, I would say.
3: Yeah. And when did that come out? Like 87, I think. Oh. Something like that. So kind of like when we, well, 88, when we were in high something school like sometime. Yeah, we were in yeah, high school, like, yeah. yeah. So again, it was like, I, I hadn't, I don't think I had heard the record yet. And then it was one of those like, oh, uh, 88, October of 88, it came out. Yeah. That's a Van Halen rip. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Go back and listen to the Jamie's Oh yeah. And I think it was in it was in some movie too about that time and it was just yeah, that signature, the drum beat, and then the again, here's another riff that's not the it's not the same it's it's hard mm-hmm. and it works in the song but it doesn't sound like anything else you've heard before on this record
1: no and when they kind of do the middle eight or the bridge or whatever now jamie's been in love before you got the background vocals going ah it's cuz it's a sweet yeah. song even though it's like jamie's crying obviously that's not a good thing when jamie's crying yeah and i like to change the lyrics sometimes to be something a little nastier but we're not going to kind of get into that right now but you know i, I remember like, playing it for my buddies on the basketball team, some of them were really into rap, right? And I start I played Jimmy Brown like, oh, that's Tone Loke's. So I'm like, no, it's 10 years before Tone Loke came around. And I wonder how many of those guys are still listening to Tone Loke versus how many of me are listening to Van Halen. I think I won that contest, hands down.
3: Yeah, I mean, maybe <laughs> if it if it comes on the radio, wild thing, like, oh, I remember this one, you know, ha ha ha. But yeah, I doubt anyone's pulling out the Tone Look record from the stack these days.
1: Right. But it's one they continue to do for a while, though, and it's got some good stuff in it. It, it, it kind of slows down in some parts, though. It's It's... It's an odd one to start the second side with, to me, as far as you want to kind of kick it off, and you've got all these kind of hard rockers you could kick it off with, but this is kind of more of a, a mid-tempo thing, it's got that kind of fun part in the middle, the ah part in the middle, I don't know, You know, maybe you want to come out hard and heavy on the front and say, on the back side, hey ladies, we got stuff for you too, you know, I... I don't know. I don't know. But then the next song, Atomic Punk, with that kind of waka-waka-waka in the beginning, the guitar stuff in the beginning, this is a pretty heavy song, man. This has got a, a not-a-bad riff in it, you know?
3: This This is probably one of my, or could be my favorite, hidden gem songs from them because, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff on here that you've heard. Even if you've never listened to this record, right. Atomic Punk is not one of them. And, well, what is this? And, yeah, he's got that, I don't know what he's doing, like whether he's rubbing the, the strings or whatever with that uh, that crazy intro and then what adds to it you didn't really need it, but it sounds awesome is this the symbol that ting 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 mm-hmm. ting while he's doing the and so yeah it's and then it goes into the main riff and it's just you know no one rules these streets at but night but, but me the atomic punk yeah. yeah I don't even yeah it's just it's just nasty and it it sounds good I think I think the steel panther guys beat me to the punch. But I thought if anybody was ever going to have a cover band for Van Halen, the Atomic Punks would be fantastic because that's a deep dive into the, it's not, not that I don't love Van Halen, but that's a little too easy. Atomic Mm -hmm. Punks would be fantastic. Yeah. If, if you've not heard this record before you, you would say, wait, what is this? I, this is fantastic.
1: Yeah, and this is one where Eddie really does blow people away with, with everything yeah. he's doing. You know, with the kind of waka he's doing at the beginning, with the riff, with the solo, it, it's all fantastic, you know, and and, and yeah. obviously they're not trying to be a punk band despite the title there. Apparently the record company tried to lump them in with punk because in 78, that's what was selling, you know, so like, right. oh, let's do a, a record cover that's like faded and, and looks like it was, you know, it's old and used kind of thing and... They're like, and dirty, you know, like, screw that. You know, we're an L.A. badass band. We, you know, look at our front men. We're not punks, you know. Not to mention, we can play our instruments. We're not a punk band, you know. We're a party yeah, band. I know more than three chords. Yeah. It's so like, no, we're not doing that. We're not making us a punk band. So this was kind of in reaction to those to those punks. Like, all right, you, you want to be a punk and no... Three chords and just cry about not having a job or whatever. I'm the atomic punk. I'm going to take it (laughs) to Mars and back, man. Check it out. And it's great. Great song. Great Van Halen song. Followed by a song that, if it hadn't been on such a hard rock, heavy metal kind of album, this would have just been a hit. This is like a AM gold or, you know, FM top 20 hit to me, feel your love, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't, again, it's, it, it doesn't sound like it should fit on this record, but for some reason it does. And, and it's a nice change of pace from atomic punk. It's, More radio friendly, they kind of bring it down a little bit. It's just kind of it kind of gives you that California vibe to it. It's got some stuff maybe now that haven't aged so well. Now that I went back and listened to it, sorry if I sorry, honey, if I took you just a little too far. Okay, yeah, maybe
1: uh, yes and no. I I mean, yeah, I mean. I don't think he was really talking about sexual predation so much as you're a teenager, you're trying to get some action, you maybe try something, that doesn't go over, so you get you know the stop sign put you on you, hand.
3: or yeah, stop sign, or slaps in the face, or whatever. Yeah, it, it's just it's kind of a it's kind of a deal. I have this conversation with my wife a lot that she doesn't get some of this stuff, and it's like because you're not a guy, right? Well, I don't because you're not a guy. This is about being a dude, just trying to impress ladies Mm -hmm. and yeah that's I mean that's all you're trying to do when you're you know 16 17 18 49
1: (laughs) (laughs) no I I, my notes was it's a hookup song it's a it's a party song you know it's like what are you doing you're Jump in your car, you take your baby out, you go to have some fun. You go out, and maybe you try to get some action. There's some action she's going to be okay with, and some girls are okay with different levels of action than others. That's all. You should know there's a reason you're called Action Jackson.
3: That's a whole nother show <laughs> that uh, we can go into later. But, yeah, oh. no, I, I like this one. It, it, and, like I said, it's a nice... It's a nice change of pace and it kind of it was right right smack in the middle of side 2. Yeah, and perhaps if you didn't know, you would think it could be a different band.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's fair. You know, I think the backing from Mikey and and Eddie are really good on this song. And you know, although if you listen to the end there is some really good guitar stuff there, but it's not quite as showy as right. some of the stuff on the other songs. And it's not it's a little short as far as letting him really kind of go off. And it's like, if it weren't for the hard rock and the amazing out-of-this-world guitar work on most of the other songs of the album, yeah, I think this would have been, this could have been like a a Fast Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack kind of a song, you know? It would have fit in just fine there. But this is one... I mean, unless you have the record, nobody really knows this song, I don't feel like.
3: Right. Yeah, it kind of gets lost in the the rest of the stuff that came off as singles, correct? And, and, you know, by this point in time, or by the time that we had gotten to high school, I mean, you were talking about OU812, that was 10 years Mm -hmm. after this. Some of these tracks just get lost. And especially when you change lead singers, yeah, the new stuff gets... On the show list, the old stuff kind of gets pushed off, and that's how it goes. Yeah, some stuff just can't, you know, we can't play for three and a half hours. Right, and,
1: you know, you mentioned the uh, the live album right here, right now, which everyone had been anticipating there would never been a Van Halen live album for any of the lineups until that came out. And at that point, Sammy had made three records with them. Three hit records, by the way. Look, Dave's uh, Dave's albums, they all went platinum. I think they may have all even gone multi-platinum. Maybe not Van Halen too. But I feel like they all went multi-platinum. None of them went to number one. Whereas all of Sammy's records went to number one. And so once you've got three albums worth of material, plus they give Sammy a little time... To do his own thing. Everybody gets a solo. So Sammy can go out and do Where Eagles Fly, or you know, one of those you know solo songs that that he does. And so you've got these three hit records from 5150, OU1812, and Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge to do. That's gonna take up a lot of time. Plus, you give Sammy a little solo. All right, suddenly the old stuff is not gonna be as prevalent anymore. And you have to do a few songs. From 1984, you just have to. And you have to do a couple songs off of this record. So that means the Fair Warnings and Women and Children First and, and Diver Down are all kind of swept under the rug. But uh, but anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. That's just kind of our personal experience with the band, I guess.
3: Hey, this is Action Jackson. The Wolf and I are coming at you <laughs> on the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. So after this, now we have, I think... Of all the Diamond Dave songs, this is the most Diamond Dave song you can possibly get.
1: Little Dreamer is?
3: No, I'm sorry, the next track.
1: Okay. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. We'll get to that soon enough. Little Dreamer is a it's heavy is riff. Got a
3: great intro to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it, it's really, again, it doesn't sound like anything else on this record. Here's another Eddie Van Halen gem. Yeah, that bum 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 and it's just kind of like a, oh, you know we're slowing things down here, but it, yeah, it, it sounds good. And Dave, kind of, it's another one of these like it's not as it's not as heavy as Atomic Punk, but it's just this is just kind of a, a sad, forlorn tale that he's going to tell you.
1: Yeah, and I, I put it's. I think it's really a blues song, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like a Van Halen blues song. Uh, it's a little darker yeah. than their party songs, you know, and and it just shows that they're not just a party band. They can do. A little bit more than that, and the oohs from from Mike and Eddie are are, are good. And then Eddie does some good fret work here. I mean, it's it's not one that I go to on the album. Like, oh, I'm going to listen to Van Halen one, which means I get to hear Little Dreamer. But once you once you hear it,
3: turn
1: it off though. No, no, no. Yeah, no, it fits in well with everything. And like, yeah, it is different. It's it, it it's bluesy, but it's not cheesy bluesy. It's more of a modern white guy from Pasadena blues. Kind of thing. Uh, I, I, it's good. It's it's one that I I listened to a couple times. And be like, yeah, you know, this is this is actually pretty. This is actually pretty good. Van Halen here. Good Dave stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think that this one doesn't get enough credit again because it's on this record that's so stacked. But yeah, I I don't ever turn this off. I mean, there, there are not on any tracks that I skip on this one. But yeah, it's it again. It's a nice little change of pace too. And uh, yeah, I like this one.
1: Very good. But I know what you were chomping at. You you're trying to get. Okay. To the quintessential Dave song. I totally understand it. And if you know anything about the personalities of this band, you know anything about David Lee Roth, if you say, what's the quintessential David Lee Roth song that he played in Van Halen? I think most big fans are going to say, it's Ice Cream, man. There's no No. doubt about it. (laughs)
3: Yeah, and, and and I so this one was never released as a single, correct? Correct. I don't see that on here yet, but I mean, this was all over FM radio. I I could have sworn, you know, if you asked me, I would say, yeah, that was totally a single. It starts off with the just the guitar part. He's just picking at it. Boom, boom, boom. Which boom, is Dave? Fancier. by the way. Oh, is that Dave playing it, that? Okay. It's Dave yeah, on
1: the acoustic I, guitar because I guess that was part of his thing. It was. It, it wasn't. Uh, it was. It was. A th- it was his time on stage by himself. So it, oh, okay. it, 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 when they would do it live before the album came out, this was Dave's time and his song. It's a cover because uh, Dave loves his covers, as we would find in later years. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but I mean you know. It's, it's not double entendre, it's single entendre, you know, sexual overtone stuff on this ice cream, man. All, all my flavors are guaranteed to satisfy.
3: If you let me cool you one time, you'll be my regular stop. All yeah. right, and, boys. And, and, <laughs> and then that part, yeah, it goes from, if that was the whole song, you'd say, well, okay.
1: That's cute, right? Good for
3: you, Dave. <laughs> but the part where he they just jam it into overdrive is fantastic. One of the, I think one of Eddie's best solos on this one. It's just he's just ripping it up on this deal. If this had been I, mean, I don't know how they put the, the the tracks together like how they decided, you know, 1 through 10, but this would have been weird. At the beginning. But now that you're on track 10, Mm -hmm. you're already kind of settled into what you've got here. And this is this is great. It's just he just blows it out of the water on this solo.
1: Yeah, and legend has it that it was one take, Jackson. And it wasn't and like I said, it's not like look, we do this live all the time, I'll just go in and do what I do. This is, they kind of had to rework it to make it into a hard rocking song because usually Dave by himself up there with his little acoustic guitar or whatever. So it was like, I don't know what I'm going to play. All right, well, let me go in and try something. And it's legendary. It is, like you say, this this other than Eruption, it may be the best work that he does on the album. It's fantastic. And then when they wrap it up, I mean, it, it, it's a little strummy, ha ha, funny little Dave tongue in cheek song. But then once the, everybody comes in, it becomes a real toe tapping rock song, you know, and then the finale yeah. is fun, it's like for Dave, for everybody in the song the way they wrap it up, it's like God, that's that's Van Halen having a good time, man, this is great Correct. and then,
3: you know, they, they got the reputation of being the party band, this is the same thing, you know, at the end you know <laughs>
1: that,
3: yeah, that it's it, yeah. I, I love this song I'm sorry they didn't release it as well, i I'm, I'm guessing I know why, because they would have gotten the parents advisory board all over them but yeah it's a great song and it, it just that cha- just that jam it into hyperdrive there is phenomenal it's cool because it's almost the end of the album too and a lot of times we've talked about this before you get to the end of the record and they're kind of like yeah okay here's a couple more tracks just right we got to yeah. fill it out yeah, yeah, but this is not one of them. This is this is something you look forward to. You're like, okay, here we go. Yay! Ice cream man is next.
1: Yeah, you know, like you said, it's like 35, 35 and a half minutes. I mean their records were usually not even that long i mean i feel like for the next few years a lot of them were 31 minutes one of them might have even been 29 or something like that some really short records until they got to 1984 and then beyond they could obviously put more on cd's and things like that but it's it's the last to me it's the last great song on the record because the last song on fire this is it. Like we always say, there's one I forgot or there's one I just don't remember very well for whatever reason it might be. And I I remember when we said we were going to do this record, I'm like, I may not have listened to this much the last 20 years, but I promise you there's nothing on Van Halen one that I won't remember. And, and won't remember note for note in a lot of places and remember the lyrics. But maybe it's because after we played Ice Cream Man, I just stopped the record and we put on something else. I don't know. But I... I didn't remember this one that well. And uh, if you just said, name the 11 songs of the album, I never would have come up with this one.
3: Yeah, this was, no matter what you were going to do on this, it was going to be tough to follow up everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the last song. Like you said, you know it's the last song. You're kind of a little bit tired now. I mean, I don't think it's a bad track. I would not listen to it, but I wouldn't say, you know, give me a track from Van Halen you want to listen to right now. On Fire would not be that one.
1: No, no. But there's a lot of fret tapping from Eddie on this one. There's a lot of, you know, guitar heroics there. And I think the chorus with Mike and and Dave is memorable. But the the, the riffing from from Eddie... I think sets up everything that came through LA in the 80s. You know, it's 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 if you listen to Rat or you listen to Motley Crue or you listen to Quiet Riot or whatever it was that kind of came through in that early 80s cycle from LA, this is the predecessor of a lot of that stuff. And I just I, I, I'd kind of forgotten about it. Now when I listen to it, I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, I know this song. It's not like right. I haven't heard it. But it it's it's one that I had kind of not deleted from my memory, but it was way back in the memory banks, whereas the others are all right up front still.
3: Yeah, I would say I was in the same, I mean, I, re, I, I saw it, I remembered, I'm like, Yo, I know I've listened to that song before, but yeah, it, it definitely, I think, set up the blueprint for that, and I mean, really, like we were talking about at the at the beginning, I think this record really kind of changed, like, the trajectory was going one way of the music in L.A. This kind of brought it back to more of the hard rock being something that could sell out, you know, you move from like the B clubs up to the big, you know, whiskeys and mm-hmm. uh, rainbow rooms. And they were saying that Troubadour was a kind of the redheaded stepchild. I know it's like a couple blocks off of the strip, you know, kind of around the corner, but I always thought that was a big club too. But I think that we, if you fast forward, what was the 78, so probably two or three years, it's all this kind of music being played on the Sunset Strip.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely true. And this was one of the things like – I was not only fortunate enough to go to the whiskey, which most people can do on, on any given night, I, I was able to to get the manager to let me go backstage, which is upstairs. They have steps that come down from upstairs on the side of the wall that takes you down to the stage, and then you walk up after your show to be upstairs, so you don't have to walk through people and the, the band's you know, kind of away from everybody. And that was one of the things I was thinking about. I was like thinking, you know, the Doors used to hang out here, and Motley Crue probably did coke off a stripper's boobs here, and... Van Halen kind of got their start here. And I'm like, Van Halen, man. Think of how important Van Halen was to you in your life in the 80s. Because, yeah, they were back in, in a big way with OU 812. And obviously, once we got to college, they had the Unlawful Carnal Knowledge record, which was huge. And we got to see them on that tour. And, and obviously, they made the live album off of that. That's great. But in the 80s, when uh, late 80s, you're in high school, getting your identity together. You're listening to stuff that you want it was cool to not only have new Van Halen that you could get into with a new singer even, but go back and find original Van Halen and be blown away and be like, wow, this is fantastic. Van Halen, I love them. They're going to be one of my favorite bands forever. Well, yeah, didn't kind of work out that way as far as they were in my top five bands in 1989 and like 3 of those bands or 4 of them are still in the top 5 but Van Halen is not anymore
3: okay okay well i mean the the kind of the problem with Van Halen is that I mean, they haven't put out a record since they stopped. They put out that different kind of truth record. I mean, I couldn't tell you one track off of that. I've listened to it, but I mean, there was nothing memorable. But yeah, yeah pretty much the uh, uh, 19, what was that? 91 was pretty much the end of their big output. So yeah, it's been a while. But what I liked about this is, you know, you were mentioning. So if you got into them in 1988, 86, 87, 88, you had to wait, what, like two or three years for another Right. Van Halen record or whatever to come out this was no wait a minute you've got this whole back catalog you've got a ton of records to listen to right now you don't have to wait
1: that's right yeah exactly no I mean look I mean, and the thing is bands move on and you grow up and you change yeah they did Balance with Sammy I think that came out in 1994 I, it was the first one I didn't get. You know, like, I have everything they did up until that point, and, but I didn't get it. And then The Van, the, the Greatest Hits came out. Of course, I got that and had a couple new Dave songs on it. We we're supposed to get a Dave reunion. We didn't. They tried Van Halen 3 with Gary Cherone. The fans just nope. rejected that outright. You know, and so, and then they got back together with Sammy. I saw, I've seen Van Halen play four times. Twice on Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Once in Indianapolis, once with you in the arena, where... They did not sell Van Halen t-shirts because the arena was taking too big of a percentage of it.
3: Oh yeah, I don't remember that. Because yeah, I was, that was crazy. Yeah, it's
1: nuts. Because I bought a yeah. t-shirt in Indianapolis and it had, you know, the date and the city and all that stuff on the back. And so when we got there, I assumed, yeah, I might buy another one. Let's just see what all they have. You were interested in maybe getting one. We walked the entire concourse looking. We never found any. And you know, some a couple of kids stopped me. He's like, dude, where did you get that t-shirt? And I turned around and showed them back. I'm like, I got it in Indy, man. Because yeah, apparently the arena wanted too big a percentage, so Van Halen said, "Nope, you're not taking our money. I, you know, we just won't sell them." So, but Allison Chains opened for them. You remember that, Jackson?
3: Yes, I do. That was a very nice treat. That was the only time I ever got to see Allison Chains, and so even though they were the the intro and getting to play everything, that um, they probably would have on a on a headliner tour. Yeah, that was a that was a nice little treat. Yeah, that night.
1: And I think they hopped out and did uh, some of the fifty one fifty dance. Maybe Mostly Naked at some point, if I recall that correctly.
3: I believe there were just tidy whities involved with that. Like, uh, what is going on? Oh, that's House Chains. What are they? Okay, well, hey, rock and roll. Go for it. Yeah, go
1: for it, you know. But no, that's that's fun. And obviously, when the live album came out, we bought that. We were all into it. We were listening to that all Mm -hmm. the time. I mean, look, getting Sammy in the band opened up a little bit more about what they could do. Obviously, Sammy could write better lyrics. He had a bigger vocal range. He could play the guitar, you know, so Eddie could play piano and Sammy could do a little guitar work. You know, it it changed, not to mention you're older. I mean, you know, you sing about partying and looking for chicks and all that stuff when you're in your teens and early 20s. Once you're in your 30s and you've got kids and stuff like that, your perspective changes a little bit. Like Metallica can't write Kill Them All today because they can't be pissed off at the world when you're filthy rich and you have everything you ever wanted. You know, you can still write heavy duty riffs and cool stuff, but it's not going to be the same. So I think the change to Hagar was great. Good for the band. But then after he left, they never really did anything. Like I said, nobody really wanted Van Halen 3. Different kind of truth. Had some retreads on it. I mean, stuff from the 70s that, you know, in the early 80s that they had laid down but had never gone anywhere. And they kind of cleaned it up. Eh, you know. And, and really, that's it. So in 25 years, they don't really make anything new. And they even toured a little sparingly. Plus, there's the whole, okay, we're getting back together with Dave. But Mike's out. And I'm going to put my kid in the band. And I'm like, all right, well, no, nothing against Wolfie, and he's doing great on his own. I'm really happy for him, but you can't call it a reunion if Mike's not there.
3: Yeah, I, I, that, to me, that was kind of the deal breaker. Again, nothing against Wolf; he is he's phenomenal. He can play, you know, with the, uh, with the best of them. Mm-hmm. It's just for us saying it's a reunion tour has to include michael anthony like it just it has to absolutely so that was that was kind of a piece there and then and then kind of the whole to me what it kind of ruins it a little bit for van halen is all of the fighting over the years and chihuahua you know, I mean, you talked about seeing them on the on the Sammy reunion tour, mm-hmm. and that I don't even think that went the whole distance. I think they, they kind of canceled that early because they just couldn't get along. There was the BMAs where, you know, Dave came out, and Dave was back in the band, and they didn't even do anything for that. I don't think they played one show
2: no, was as the reunited dip. deal. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was just, that was just a disaster, and And then, uh, yeah, the whole the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were just Sammy and And Mike show up and uh, Mike showed up and yeah. So I think that they kind of, to me anyway, they kind of almost tarnished the legacy of it just because they could just really never get along. Four of them at one point in time.
1: I know, and it's it's like uh, you, you almost don't know who to believe. Usually, when this happens and there's all this infighting stuff one person or one camp is a lot more credible than the other. Or you can say, all right, well, part of what he says is true and part of what he says is true. And, you know, somewhere in the middle lies the truth or whatever. But whether it's Sandy or Dave or Alex and Eddie, it, it, eventually it just becomes, I really don't know who to believe anymore. And it just, it seems yep. kind of ridiculous. It's It's like you've been lapped by all these people that you once lapped. Now people are coming back and lapping you and it's, it's, it's just kind of weak. And I'll tell you, I used to review, I used to always review my shows on Ticketmaster. And at one point I was a top 50 reviewer as far as not quality, but like quantity, I guess. And I spent a lot of time as a top 100 reviewer. Usually they would take all of my reviews. I saw them, and I'm guessing it was around 2013, I, obviously I don't have my tickets here, they're in America, but it was in the Dave era with Wolfie. And it was a good show and all, but I only gave them 3 out of 5 stars, and I said that Cool the Gang, who opened for them, was better than they were that night. And they did not post that review. (laughs) So, I I think you have to give them five stars or one star. Either you say, this is the greatest thing ever and I love them, you need to go see them. Or, this sucked, don't. If you're in the middle somewhere, I think they say, yeah, your review's no good, we don't want it.
3: Yeah, it's almost like being... You're kind of the child of the parents who are divorcing, you know, like it's just, they're always fighting and you're just kind of like, okay, I can't, I mean, you're right. If there was, if there was a clear, like in what was it in 85, it was kind of like, well, Dave's a jerk and he couldn't, he had to be the star and he couldn't take it. So he left. Okay. Okay, I got that, but then it's like, well, turns out Eddie is kind of a prima donna too, and
1: and an alcoholic yeah, and problems. a drug addict and an asshole. And just yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, just a just a. But the the one thing that I did really really kind of warm my heart was that. Sammy disclosed that he, before Eddie died, they had at least gotten back together again, I mean, not together, but they had reconnected, you know, started texting each other and just, he didn't, he didn't pass on now. I don't think he did the same with Michael Anthony. I don't know what the deal was with that. Maybe he just ran out of time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. According to Wolf, he said that he was, he was on his way to doing that also. So kind of just making amends. So at least, you know, you've got that to kind of the end of his legacy is that, that he kind of came around and and was trying to make amends with people. Yeah. But yeah, I think he was a very, I think he was kind of one of those dudes where like, if he was in a good mood, he was the greatest guy on the face of the earth. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just, but when he was in a bad mood, watch out.
1: Well, you speak of Wolf and, and I think it's really his legacy to carry on now. And I'm glad he's out doing his own thing. And I, I remember a lot of people like, are you going to go back and, and fix up Van Halen, you know, do some old catalog stuff and go back there? And 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 he's like, no, I'm, I'm doing my own thing right now. My dad would tell me to do that. And I totally agree. He should go out and carve his own path and make his own music. Absolutely. And he seems to be pretty good at it. So I wish him all the best. However... At some point, we're going to have to have some of that. And, and that's another thing about Van Halen. Not only did they not make any new music, but they they didn't go back and, okay, here's the 40th anniversary of the first album. Well, maybe they remixed it or remastered it or something like that, but they didn't give us any extra tracks. They didn't give us like, and here's six songs from the Pasadena Civic in 78 or anything. like. There, there's just nothing out there. And you know there's got to be stuff in the archives. So I hope at some point... He can go back and do that. And whether he does that you know, with his uncle or with Mike or Dave, Sammy, whoever it is, there's got to be more out there. There's got to be more songs. There's got to be more live stuff. That fans would get into, but that's that's why they've dropped out of my top five and top ten favorite bands of all time. Because for 25 years, basically gotten nothing from them. The Stones put out a new album. You know, they redo "Tattoo You." Oh, and by the way, here's a whole other album of stuff you've never heard before. Right? There's all sorts of. I just got for Christmas. Santa Claus brought me Juice Priest Turbo at thirty. Now Turbo may not have been my favorite record, but you got two live discs, so it's basically Priest Live, but with all the extra cuts that they didn't put on the Priest Live record, and it's a different night, you know. So it's like, hey, that's cool. That's a nice thing to put out, you know. Why doesn't Van Halen do that? They've never done it.
3: Yeah, yeah. what was it? Two thousand so two thousand eighteen was the 40th anniversary yeah you're right not even a peep there was nothing out of that camp and and i understand that you know that that was eddie was probably not in the best place but i mean they they've never done that and one thing that bent me out of shape in the early 2000s i think maybe late 90s early 2000s they did they remastered all the dave records mm-hmm. i don't think they put anything new on them but they cleaned them up they didn't do anything for the San Diego records right do that remaster them clean them up make them sound good because i think like i i think 5150 needs some help like it just needs it needs some polish on it. Interesting. Yeah, that would be great. But again, to your point, you know, Wolf's got his own. I don't. I would imagine he's in charge of that now, for the most part. Eddie's portion of, of it. Yeah. I
1: mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. From, what, from what I understand, is that all four members got equal songwriting credits. From what I understand, which means they all have to four sign off and stuff. But obviously, Eddie was the driver of it. Now right. that Eddie's not there, yeah, I think that would fall on Wolfie. Not only as the heir, but as a fantastic musician in his own right who has played in this band and understands the songs. So, yeah, that, that's going to fall on him at some point. Again, I right now, I want him to focus on being Wolfgang Van Halen. Focus on Mammoth. Keep growing that band. Although, if you're opening for Metallica and Guns and Roses and doing these stadium gigs on one album, you've kind of already made it. Um, so but i mean no keep making your new music wolfie for sure but at some point it is gonna have to fall on him to be like hey because the, the guys are all in their 60s now and, and his, we've already lost his dad is in his brother his uncle's older than eddie you know dave's retiring and and mike you know i, I hope he's in good health and all that but you know it, it, before everybody else is gone maybe we should start to work on some of that stuff
3: That would be nice, yeah. That would be nice to have some some deluxe editions of that.
1: We'll see. So there's our take on Van Halen's first album, the one that broke the band in the United States and around the world. Over 10 million sold diamond in the United States. The bands that have two diamond albums, because 1984 also sold over 10 million. The rock bands, the list is very short. It's like Led Zeppelin, The Eagles, Van Halen. Def Leopard, and that's about it. There, there really aren't too many of them. And I'm not sure why Van Halen never really caught the same fire in the UK as they did in the US. Maybe it's because it came out in 78 when punk was everything in the UK. Maybe it's because they broke before MTV happened. Yes, MTV came later and it really helped break Van Halen in a huge way around 1984. But in 78, 79, 80, maybe they just didn't have the exposure Or maybe they just don't align with the Brits' taste. They like the Black Sabbath, who Van Halen actually opened for in the 70s. The Doom and gloom more than the, hey, California sunshine, wicked guitar player. I don't know. But in America... And for two teenage Americans, Action Jackson and The Wolf, Van Halen could not have been bigger in our lives, couldn't have been a bigger influence on American hard rock music. Everything you saw in the 80s to come from the rock and roll perspective was different because of what Eddie Van Halen was able to do on this first album. Of course, it didn't last forever, the band broke up, went through different singers, and it's sad to me that they never really had much output after the mid-90s. Once Sammy left, they really don't have that much original material, they've got, Gary Cherone, Van Halen. Three record, which was just dismissed. They've got a different kind of truth, which had some new songs, some retreads. There's a few new songs and some greatest hits albums, but that's it. I mean, for 25 plus years, they've really not made much new and they don't revisit their catalog. It's not like they go back and release official bootlegs or deluxe remasters of all their old albums. They might clean them up here and there, but there's nothing coming out of the vaults. And I think that was because Eddie was in a certain state of mind and wasn't dealing with all that. So I'm hoping that down the line, that will change, whether that's Wolfgang or The Record Company or whomever getting together, looking through the vaults, saying, all right, let's, let's make something special for the fans because Van Halen has an incredible legacy in the pantheon of rock and roll. And they deserve to continue to get new fans and have people discover how great they were. I think without some kind of new material whether it's unreleased tracks or old concerts, live album, whatever you can put out there, I think they should do it so a new generation will not miss out on the greatness of Eddie Van Halen. And I hope you appreciate that take. Hey, as usual, we want to know, do we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Did we miss your favorite part? Please let us know. You can tweet us, DM us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. Please be sure to download and subscribe at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com or really anywhere you get your podcast. And if you did like the show, do us a favor. Go out and give us a favorable review. It just helps us find more fans like you, helps us grow the show and hopefully bring more resources to the show to keep improving it for you. Now next week We go back to our 50th anniversary series with an album that is turning 50 in 2022, and that's the Rolling Stones' classic double album, Exile on Main Street, the one they had to make in the south of France and in Los Angeles because they were tax exiles. They didn't have the money for the enormous tax bills that they owed, and they had to flee the country to keep their tax liability down and to earn money back so they could pay those tax bills. So that'll be coming at you next week. Until then, rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe.
0: What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Were they shop? Were they shop? Would you kill? I'm right there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast